Welcome to Coaching Kids Curling, a podcast for youth curling coaches and program organizers. I'm Glenn Gabriel, a certified curling coach who lives in Pickering, Ontario, Canada. My mission is to give you the advice, resources, and inspiration you need to make your program better. The curling delivery is the most important skill in our sport. This is part two of a conversation with John Benton, a longtime American competitive curler and coach. In this episode, we continue our discussion of the three planes, the value of keeping things simple, and the state of junior curling at his club in Minnesota. How are coaches, you know, in any club in the U.S., because I'm not so familiar with American clubs, but how are those coaches taught? Like, what courses are they taking? How are they taught to teach to delivery? You know, there's a a number of different courses that people take, and and they're all great. Um, So the the World Curling Federation, Curl Canada, uh, USA Curl uh, Curling hasn't had a super consistent program. Uh, so uh, most of our coaches have gone to Canada or World Curling Federation, um, but most of the material that I've seen it has has been, you know, the same really for decades. Um, you know, with without uh, a, a ton of updating, um, and and again, there, there's nothing wrong with um, any of that material. It, it's it's all good, and there, there's a lot of time and effort put into it. Um, but again looking at at this in terms of bringing the newer people in our sport along faster to help them be successful. I'm not so sure that those methods are going to continue to work. Thanks for answering that. I know in Canada, you know, there are curling Canada and and the provincial associations offer courses. And, you know, if, if someone's trained or certified, inevitably they've taken a club coach course, a club coach youth, a competitive coach, the old level one, two, threes. And you're right. A lot of that information hasn't changed very much. I mean, other than the fact that it used, we used to be taught how to throw a backswing <laughs> delivery. Right, right. And now it's no lift. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back and just credit you because a lot of what I enjoyed about that webinar and what I appreciate about this technique or this philosophy is the simplicity. But, but uh, just touching on maybe briefly on the glide plane and the line plane, are, are there things as youth coaches we can do with the kids to emphasize those principles with them? Yeah, su- super simple. Uh, glide plane is all about long slides. I, w- I love to see <laughs> my kids sliding as far as they can. And, and growing up, actually, that was a thing that we did, right? Uh, oh, yeah. And, you know, seeing if we could slide to the other end. And, and uh, so the kids actually have fun with that. What you, what you match that with is the principle and the science behind it, right? So it, what it means is moving the body weight, shifting the body weight more forward than most people are used to, so that their center of mass is over that slide foot, and then making a full extension of their uh, trailing leg, right? Right. To the to the point where it's probably a little uncomfortable. Really focusing in on okay, if we when we leave the hack, we're decelerating. What's causing us to decelerate, right? right. And how can how can we eliminate that, right? Um, there there's equipment things. Um, you know, I've uh, mm. had people replace their brooms. I'm a big advocate of stabilizers uh, for teaching. Um, I'm a big advocate of uh, 
uh, a device, whether it be a broom or a stabilizer, that's at least as fast as your shoes. Now, a lot of people wouldn't think about that, but mm. when you think about broom materials, people sliding with brooms, if they're wearing a quarter inch slider on their foot, there's no way that the plastic on the head of that broom is as fast as your quarter inch slider. So now we've introduced a decelerator in our broom, which may also be causing us issues with line plane because it's now turning our body. And this is one that I've proven actually, um, I'm a, uh, I'll just, this is a plug for ProSlide and, and Reed Carruthers. Uh, I use a ProSlide in competition, but the primary reason is the ProSlide has a quarter inch slider on it. Ah, okay. Um, and uh, what I tell people is, okay, you take a pro slide and you take your broom and you slide them on the ice and see which one goes farther at the wow. same rate. You know, that, that's a little added content and, and plug there. But um, the, the point being, there's a lot of things that can contribute to our deceleration and cause us problems with weight control and consistency. Well, John, by the way, kids still love the long slide drill. <laughs> that's good that's having good. done it for like 10 years with my little rocks yeah they love to put the cup where they slid you know and how far exactly. they've gone now, uh, now you've got a couple more tools to work with them excellent uh line plane yep line plane uh again super simple if you're looking at uh, a player uh from up front uh, a kid um all you're really looking for and and i i wouldn't even probably uh be super critical about their setup because they're still growing and their bodies are going to change. But what I would focus in on again is the principle being very deliberate as we're moving in the hack to make sure that neither the stone nor our body moves laterally, no left or right movement or shifting of weight as we're trying to kick out of the hack. That's, that's the core principle behind line plane. And as a matter of fact, even if you never changed your setup and, and you, you weren't comfortable putting that stone, you know, more towards the center of your body, that's fine. The principle still applies. Wherever you start the stone in your body, they should go directly at the broom. They should not have any lateral movement as, as we're kicking out of the hat. If, if you think about it in terms of science or math, um, you know, as, as we look down the ice, if we're off by an eighth of an inch on the near end of the ice, what does that amplify or magnify or multiply to on the far end of the ice? Uh, if this is a quiz, that uh, I, I don't know the specific answer, but it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot more <laughs> than you would think. And, and that's, that's uh, you know, one of the amazing things in doing this. And, and again, I'll, I'll uh, credit Lino. Uh, Lino had a very specific method for teaching this and it was, it was brilliant. Uh, he used an old piece of technology. It was a camera that in the actual, um, software in the camera, he had a line in the center of the camera. Oh, so he didn't need a laser. The line was dead center in the lens of the camera. So when you recorded the, the line was in the middle of the frame always. So he knew that if he lined that up on the center of the hack, that that and and said, this camera is your broom. He, he knew no matter where he put the camera, it was correct. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So then he would have the player throw 
three interns at the camera and very often the the players would be close on the interns and then he'd turn right around and have them throw three outers and invariably they would be missing the broom by one two three or more inches but only with their outturn and the broom the camera had not moved i'll say that again the broom had not moved but for some reason they were sliding different on their outturn than their intern and they were they were missing it on their outturn and you will hear people like russ howard or kevin martin or whatever say you know most people's outturns are straighter than their interns this is why it turns out that a lot of people when they set up if they're using the 10 and 2 method for for how they set up the rock when they set up for an outturn invariably they move the rock to the right because it's not a natural position for for our arm or our hand in that two o'clock holding position so they move the stone either a half inch three quarters of an inch or maybe an inch to an inch and a half to the right as they set up for their outturn well now as i said before when we were talking about line plane in order for that stone to get back to the center of their body at release they're shifting their body as they leave the hack to get in behind the stone and that's right. why they're wide so the fix that Lino does after, so the seventh stone, so three interns at the broom, three outturns wide of the broom, Lino will go back to the hack and he will say, okay, I'm gonna move this stone directly in front of the delivering hack, centered on the delivering hack. And I want you to be real deliberate about making sure that there's no lateral movement. And nine times out of 10 on that seventh stone, they square the broom perfectly on their outturn just by moving the rock into the right position from the start. Sorry, is, is that something as coaches, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm laughing as I say it, are we standing at the hog line looking at this and trying yeah. to give feedback at the same time? Yeah, exactly. So you, you, what you're really looking for is, um, you know, I really like the word deliberate. You're looking for deliberate movement in the hack. You, uh, what I tend to look for is whether or not the, the stone and the delivering arm, the throwing arm, if they're moving independently of the body, that, that can mean that there's extra motion. And more often than not, that will include some lateral motion of the stone. If there's lateral motion of the stone, invariably there's going to be lateral motion of the body to compensate for that. So th that's really what you're looking for is being uh, asking the athlete to be very deliberate and making sure that you visually uh, don't see any lateral movement in either the stone or the body as they're coming out of the hack. It's, it's really that simple. Now, there, there's one other, I guess it's more of a, a teaching technique that I use just because uh, so many people tend to wear dark clothing. So uh, black pants, black jacket, you know, darker, darker clothes. What I've taken to doing is I've got a large whiteboard that I will actually set up on the walkway directly behind the hack. So I have some contrast oh, okay. and I have some reference points so I can more easily pick out that lateral movement because sometimes it's very subtle. Sometimes it's just a, a, a subtle shift of weight as they're moving forward to, to get their body slightly in behind the stone. And that can be enough. Maybe we should get 
people to wear pants with two different colored legs. <laughs> uh, it, it's kind of a funny story. Uh, Roger uh, and Lino both, um, when when I was working with them, they would bring out uh, uh, colored dots. Uh, ah, okay. I, I believe Roger had a special jacket with a large white dot painted on. I mean, these guys were were pioneers when it, when it comes to, uh, it was kind of, uh, uh, Willy Wonka's chocolate factory uh, working <laughs> with those guys sometimes. That sounds amazing. Uh, yeah. I, I love it when people innovate. So yeah, half of the time I say these things jokingly, but not really. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, John, uh, I, I wanted to, uh, bring up two things and I think we've approached all the plane stuff. So thank you for, for, for doing sure. that. But there are two things I wanted to point out in your system, and and correct me if if you think I'm off base, but th- these are the two things I think after I listened to your webinar that really stayed with me. Uh, one of them is the fact that you started at the release point and you worked backward. And I don't know if you asked yourself this particular question, but how can I minimize the steps to get to the release point? It's it's the the whole idea of eliminating extra movement or steps and trying to simplify things enough just to get to the point where you you can release it uh, to the release point. So that, that was the first thing. And uh, is that, am I on the right track? Is that something that. Absolutely. Uh, You know, it's again, what's kind of fallen out of this is that, is that this is kind of a a minimalist method. Right. Um, And, and it doesn't take a scientist to figure out that, you know, less movement means there's going to be less chance for error. Um, so it's, I, I use the phrase closing the gap all the time um, because I really think that that's, that's what we're doing. We can never, you know, get that perfection that, that we all strive for, but we can, we can close the gap. We can make it better every time. And, and that's, that's abs- you're right on uh, with, with picking that out. Uh, I, I can tell you, John, even in my limited experience with Little Rocks, trying to teach them the delivery and simplifying the steps, we have inevitably got it down to three steps. And yeah. even the wording of those steps I had to redo over the years. So, you know, it used to be on your mark, get set, go. Right. And then it became ready, set, go because yeah. it was one word per thing. So I, I think a lot of coaches are thinking that way. So that that's that's Good. something that attracted me to this. The other thing is these are principles which you've uh, said that, that they're not like hard and fast rules of how to right. do things. And this these principles can apply even if you're I, I guess the the easy example here is whether you have a flat foot slide, uh, you're a toe slider or even if you use a tuck. So it's not so much the specific technique or physical technique you use, but more the principle to get you to the goal. Absolutely. And, and to go back to your first question, I absolutely asked myself that question and, and it was part of uh, an earlier presentation on the triplane uh, that I actually put together is, you know, uh, how did we get here is, Mm -hmm. is the question. How did we get to the release point? The thing about all of this is, is that, the principles needed to, if, if we're going to be able to effectively teach, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, they, they need to be simple and they need to be applicable for, for all body types, uh, all genders, all ages, um, and all preferences. Not everybody has the same golf swing. Um, right. You know, th- there's a lot of different 
you know, methodologies, uh, uh, techniques uh, for, for a golf swing. Um, the basic fundamentals of teaching the golf swing are the same. And, and that's what I'm trying to achieve here. You know, I, I've like, if you look at um, a tuck slider, let's say, let's go to kind of the extreme. Certainly their slide foot is, is not under their chest um, when they're sliding. The question is, does it move in unison with their body? Right. Is it, is it, is it moving at the same rate as their body and the same time as their body? That, that's the critical piece, uh, you know, for, the, for their support plane. Um, they, they have impeccable glide plane. Uh, because they have almost nothing touching <laughs> with, with the trail leg, yeah, uh, uh, and line plane remains the same for them. Um, so, yeah, uh, the the principles ap- apply uh, universally. Well, John, I, I want to give you a chance to uh, to plug your company. You're the uh, owner of Cold Granite Curling. Uh, could you explain what, uh, or could you tell us what that company is and and what services it provides? Yeah, so uh, Cold Granite, uh, you know, I've worked in almost every facet of curling uh, over over the years as as a player, coach, administrator. Um, you know, I've served on boards, and um, I just found that um, there there were a lot of uh, similar questions that that were being asked of me because I'd done all these things, um, and uh, I I felt like I could um, you know help some people out in some different ways. And so, you know, cold granite curling um, is is primarily about um, coaching and training. Um, so, uh, release point method, but also team coaching, uh, communications, all, all the things that go into that. Um, and then uh, the two other pieces are event management. So, um, I've run uh, cash spiels for twenty nine years now um, in the States here, um, kind of, kind of all over the place. So, um, have a lot of experience running cash deals as well as events at, at my own club. Um, so I like to, to help people out if they're thinking about, you know, running an event, whether it be a club event or uh, a higher level event. Um, you know, I, I have a lot of background and knowledge and, you know, provide them with budgets and, uh, marketing ideas, those types of things. Um, and then the, the last, piece is facility management. Um, so, you know, th- there aren't a lot of people who have gone through the full process of, of starting up and building uh, a curling club from, from square one. Um, and I was fortunate enough to be able to go through that process at uh, my, my place of work for Seasons Curling Club um, and certainly been around the industry uh, long enough. And so, uh, again, with the popularity of the sport rising down here, we're building clubs kind of hand over fist. And uh, I've been engaged with, you know, a number of uh, projects and, and facilities that either have been built or are, are planning to be built. Um, and, you know, I, I just try and offer, you know, my, my knowledge and my experience um, to them in, in helping them get started. Before I let you go, I wanted to ask you about your role at the Four Seasons Curling Club. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe uh, this is in Blaine, Minnesota. Correct, correct. And, Just north of Minneapolis. Right, right. I, I'm horrible with this stuff, and I've had to use Google Maps the last couple of episodes. <laughs> so, yes, near me. Sorry, north of Minneapolis. Yep. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about your junior program? I, I'm always a 
sucker to learn about other people's programs. So how many kids and like how many days a week? I know that COVID obviously has thrown a wrench into a lot of clubs programming, but could you tell us a little about your junior programs? Yeah, for sure. So um, we were actually pretty fortunate. We got to open back up in January and our youth program uh, usually runs like mid January to, um, you know, mid March, uh, let's say. Um, and then we also, uh, we host a school program, which is separate, uh, but associated with, with the youth program. Um, so, uh, youth program is, uh, Sunday afternoons, uh, one, one to three, one to three thirty, Um, and essentially they get, um, progressively less instruction through, through the, uh, six to eight weeks of the program. So start out with, you know, uh, of the two hours, they'll do an hour and a half instruction for the first couple of weeks. And then they start backing that off and introducing more gameplay. Um, that program has had as many as 60 kids. I think we're, uh, this year with COVID, we were down to about 24. Um, and then, a very, almost the identical program, uh, for the school program, which is uh, Tuesday and Wednesday afternoons uh, from 3.30 to 5. Uh, and that's local school kids. So um, middle school and high school age, age kids. And we, we're fortunate to have um, a number of uh, school teachers as members uh, who've kind of taken up the charge and are leading that program and getting other schools involved. So again, uh, two years ago, we had eight local schools involved and about 60 kids. Um, and, uh, this year we were down to four schools and I think less than 20 kids, but I expect that to, that number to, to creep back up. And the goal here in Minnesota is, uh, for us to, uh, bring curling back as a, as a, um, high school league sport, uh, uh-huh. where there would actually be a state championships and, and, uh, potentially a, a, a high school national championships. So we're, we're hopeful that that will happen. And, uh, we were, we were on track pre COVID. So I'm hoping we get back there. Oh, okay. Yeah. A couple of follow-up questions. One, sure. you managed to get teachers involved. Do these teachers curl? How, how'd you get yes. them involved? Yes. Oh, they do. Yes. Okay, great. Yes. So, so I made, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if I stumbled <laughs> onto this or somebody told me to do it, but I reached out, uh, to our membership a few years back and said, Hey, do we have any, you know, local teachers, that are curling. Um, and I had a few that, you know, kind of raised their hands and, you know, it, the rest is kind of history from there. We started building a program and, um, we started hosting a, a school, uh, championships. Um, so there's a couple other clubs, uh, in the area here that have some school kids playing. So we thought, well, let's make this a fun thing and, and get all of these programs together at the end of the year um, you know, try and coordinate the end of our years um, for for a get together and and for them to play and meet kids from other places and uh, that was kind of a big hit and it's really it's really kind of taken off from there. Uh, well, John, yeah, that's fantastic. Any, I think every club, you especially in Canada, we're trying to uh, bring the kids in and right. if you if you have teachers that are actually curl that, oh God, that really. That closes the gap there. Yeah, As... that's 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 for sure, and that's I I would highly recommend that if that's what you're looking to do, that that's where that's what you seek out. If you don't have teachers now, go get them. <laughs> um, 
and teach them to curl um, because it, it's just been such a, such a reward uh, to have their participation and their help. That's great. And, and the final one is uh, for your regular program, I guess the Sunday one, how old are the kids? Uh, minimum age is eight. Okay. So eight to 18. Well, John, uh, what can I say? Thank you so much for joining me today. I, I know, uh, uh, yeah, we went through a lot tonight, but uh, this is the first episode that I've dealt with the curling delivery. And I, I wanted to uh, get you on because, uh, you know, it's so easy to make this complicated when it comes to the curling delivery and anything we can do to simplify it and, and share these principles to all coaches, you know, of all levels of all experience. Right. I, I think that that's going to, uh, yeah, it, it, the, the more we can make people new to our sport, get better at it quicker. And, and this is a step toward that. I, I think that that's just going to help our sport overall. So John, before I let you go, uh, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? For sure. Uh, so first things first, uh, you can find everything that we talked about is uh, on my website, coldgranite.com, uh, under the coaching and training. And uh, there's a, a free handbook out there that you can download, has every last bit of this content and a few extra pieces that we that we didn't talk about tonight. Um, so, so I encourage you to go out there and, and take a look at it. Um, and then if certainly if you have questions or uh, you'd like to talk to me about this or have me come and do a camp or uh, something uh, of that sort, um, you can always reach me at jbcurler at gmail.com. Um, and, I, and I just want to say, you know, I really appreciate you doing this, Glenn. This is a, a great little podcast that you have going and uh, it's, it's great to be on. Um, you know, any, anything that we can do to, to grow the sport and help people learn. Um, I think the, the last thing that I would say is that it's not just coaches, uh, that can teach, um, when I have a camp or a clinic and anybody that I ever work with, uh, with the release point method, I encourage them to go teach, uh, because these principles are not, you know, they're not copyrighted. <laughs> they're, oh, right. Uh, I, you know, I, I want people to start becoming, teachers um, uh, of, of the game uh, in a way that's going to help people to be successful. I, I think that's a perfect way to end. So, uh, John, thank you so much and uh, good luck. Thanks, Glenn. I appreciate it very much. So that was my interview with John. I started this podcast in April of 2020, and it took more than a year before I tackled the subject of the curling delivery. Why? As you can probably tell, I'm a big fan of keeping things simple and clear, especially when teaching kids. Although the curling delivery is the most important skill in our sport, the truth is we've been teaching it in a way that's too complicated and too complex. Now, John's system isn't the only way to approach the curling delivery. In fact, he admitted that there are other good methods to learn how to slide at the beginning of this episode. What attracted me to the release point method was its simplicity and clarity. What I also liked was the fact that the planes are principles and not specific techniques. Let's be real. Despite all our instruction, there are going to be kids whose slides are not going to be picture perfect, like the ones we see on Curling Canada videos. However, you can view someone's slide through the lens of the three planes and determine whether it's effective. Not pretty, but effective.
It doesn't matter if they use a flat foot slide, a toe slide, or even if they use the Manitoba tuck. In the coming weeks, I'm going to record a solo episode with my thoughts on teaching the curling delivery to kids. I don't consider myself a savant when it comes to teaching this skill. However, I'm very aware of the common errors, traps, and inefficiencies when you're teaching a diverse group of kids and you have a diverse group of volunteer instructors. Make sure to follow our Twitter account for more details. Speaking of which, I encourage you to follow our Twitter account, which is the at symbol followed by Kids Curling. One more time, the at symbol followed by Kids Curling. I'll also have that Twitter handle listed in today's show notes. This has been the Coaching Kids Curling Podcast. To reach me, Coach Glenn, please email coachingkidscurling at gmail.com. To follow the podcast for free, visit our website, coachingkidscurling.com. You can also find show notes and links to the resources mentioned in this episode and in previous episodes. The intro and outro music is Golden Sunrise by Josh Woodward. Thanks for listening. Good luck and good curling.